Happy Monday to each of you, and we're so delighted and glad. And we thank each of you for joining us for for perspective. This is episode number 14, and we are glad and proud and excited as always to have each of you with us. We have a very impactful show tonight as we continue our series, which we're talking about live through it. Last week, we talked about breast cancer awareness, and this month, we're going to continue as this is also domestic violence uh, month. Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So we're not going to delay the hour, but our guest is backstage and she is ready. We're going to go ahead and bring her in. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest for the evening, Kenyatta Tate. And we are very uh, proud and overjoyed to have her with us this evening. Kenyatta is a mom. She's an author. She's a veteran. And she wears a few more hats. So we're going to... Um, begin our conversation and before i begin i do want to give a shout out to my good friend miss angela abdul rachi for establishing this connection thank you so much and much love to you so let's go ahead and begin and we do have a few guests on hi mom gonna go ahead and shout them out elisa she was our guest on last week thank you for tuning in elisa and carnisha johnson good evening to you let's go ahead and get started so thank you so much for joining us tonight as you share your story and to get us started tell us three words that you would use to describe you i would say those three words are resilient you got me with that one i wasn't expecting that question so (laughs) Resilient, hardworking, and loving, I would say, are the three words to describe me. Okay, I love it. I love it. And for those of you who are wondering why she used those three words, at the end of this show, I think you'll have a better understanding as to why she used those um, three words. Again, we are continuing our series, Live Through It, which will actually be a three-part series, um, which we'll end on last week. And for those who tuned in last week, we talked about breast cancer awareness. For those who did not see that show, Alisa Boyd was our guest, and it was an amazing conversation. So you can go on our Facebook page and watch that or the YouTube channel to watch that. And tonight we're talking about domestic violence awareness. So let's get started. So, um, and I don't want to give away too much because I've read the book. But we do want to um, provide a great conversation tonight. So let's get started. Um, your journey with domestic violence, it, it, it started, as many do, in a relationship. So tell us about this man. When did you meet him and how did you meet him? Yes. So I met this man we're going to name Sean. I met Sean in the summer of 2001. It was just a month after I graduated from high school. I met him through one of my friends. My friend was dating his cousin. And so that's how I met him. Okay. And when you first met him, did you think it would pop off in a relationship or friendship or what kind of thoughts were going through your head when you met him? Definitely a relationship. I hadn't really dated anyone prior to him, not seriously dated. You know, it was that, you know, you're talking to somebody or y'all go together, but it wasn't, you know, real. And this was like the first real relationship that I was in. So I definitely was looking for a relationship. Okay. Okay. So let's fast forward a little. So you get with Sean and let's talk about some of the um, good things or things that you liked or saw that could have been a plus for you in the relationship. Well, Sean was older. I didn't know that at the time. I I figured he was a little bit older than me, but not as old as he ended up being. So I thought that was a plus. I figured he would be mature, you know, and he would know a lot more than I did. He we talked about, you know, having a family together, talked about, you know, my future goals and, you know, he would pick me up from work and we would take long walks in the park and we would talk for hours at a time, you know, on the phone. And so I thought, you know, this was somebody I could spend the rest of my life with, somebody I I believe in soulmates. And I still do. But then I thought I had met, you know, my soulmate. Okay. So we've had the months and I'll even say weeks of all this um, phone conversations that turned into two-hour conversations, him picking you up from work, 
all this good stuff, all this good stuff. So at what yes. point did you notice, okay, something ain't right, or these are a few warning signs I really need to look out for? Yes, and that's the thing. There were warning signs, but a lot of times, you know, we we kind of talk those things away. Oh, you know, he's he just really cares about me. But some of the things that I noticed was um, the friend that I told you I met him through, mm -hmm. he started not wanting me to hang out with her. He thought she was a bad influence, you know, so he didn't want me to be, you know, have friends. And she was my primary friend at that time. And then, like, if I, like, spoke to someone or, you know, looked at them too long, smiled too much, or even if I ran into somebody I knew already, like, I remember being in the grocery store one day and I ran into somebody from high school. And every time we would see each other, I'd just say, hey, and say their name and run up and hug them. And that's what I did. But he was with me. And I remember hesitating, like after that, like, oh, what is this? What is this going to turn into? So those are some of the things that I noticed that should have been red flags for me. But I didn't, you know, really pay attention to it at the time. Okay. And let's kind of back up for a minute because I want um, everybody, this is real conversation tonight. So I do want to go ahead and give the definition of domestic violence. So domestic violence is a pattern of violence or intimidation in an intimate relationship by one intimate partner against another designed to establish power and control over the victim. It may be physical, sexual, and include psych psychological abuse or assault. And, or assaults. and then also real quick, we want to give the statistics. So, so this, and these are current and most recent statistics, 31% of Alabama women and 26.9% of Alabama men. So it's very important that we realize that this just, just doesn't affect women, but it affects men as well. Alabama men experience intimate partner physical violence, intimate partner sexual violence, and or intimate partner stalking. So for those who wonder it, stalking can be it can lead to domestic violence, but um gonna do a whole nother um show on stalking in the future. Uh we can guarantee you that. And these are things that we have to talk about. And I know that this may be hard for some that are watching. And I wanna say this, it's okay not to be okay. So if you need to go and grab you some tissue or you may need to watch this at a later time, it is perfectly understandable so it's real conversation so let's dive back into the conversation so you've noticed those warning signs and when you notice those warning signs what was your initial reaction or thought my initial reaction was i thought he was overreacting and in some ways and then in some ways i was thinking like oh he's doing it because he wants to make sure that you know i'm not talking to anybody else you know, those types of things. But I realized later that these were warning signs to something much bigger. And I think the reason why I didn't notice that is because I talk about this often, but prior to me finding out that there was help out there for DV survivors or victims, I had never met anyone who had experienced domestic violence. I don't remember anyone coming into my school and talking about, you know, these are the warning signs. This is what to look out for. So I didn't know that these were things that I should have been worried about. Gotcha. And so um, we go past these thoughts and things that were going through your head. And let's talk about, was there any, before the abuse started, was there any moments where he tried to keep you away from certain family members or friends because for those who are not familiar with the way domestic violence works they kind of spot out the stronger people or that those that you're close to and when they spot those out they make it their business to pull you away did that ever happen with you and sean as we call them yes so i would say Prior to like early on in our relationship, I actually fell out with my parents. Okay. And so I at that time, I was really, really stubborn and I felt like they had wronged me so bad that I just could not go back home. And so he knew that. And then there were times where I tried to reconnect and, you know, he would be the one in my ear like they don't really care about you, you know, saying things. I feel like just to keep us distance. 
So yes, now he didn't, I don't think he started, he didn't start off trying to do that from the beginning, but I think he probably saw an opportunity there, especially when he saw what was going on with our relationship. Okay. And so let's talk about the abuse and you experienced verbal and physical abuse. Um, yes. Just briefly, like I said, this is open dialogue. What were some of those demeaning things that he said to you? Mm, some of the things that I remember later on, I'm trying to think of some of those early on, but I know later after I had kids, he would say stuff like, nobody's going to want you, you know, with three kids. Um, he would say stuff like, I was shake funny, who's going to want me? You know, he would say, he wouldn't necessarily say like real negative things all the time. I felt like in the beginning we had some incidents where that were physical, but eventually turned to just verbal. Okay. So I felt like he was just always like controlling, make you think like he saw me in the car with somebody or, you know, are you sleeping around with somebody? Is that my child, you know, that I had? Was it his child? You know, those type of things that I felt like was more like psychological abuse gotcha. as opposed to physical. But there were some physical aspects to it as well. Okay. And let's talk about um, the physical. Like I said, I don't want to give too much detail from the book, but I do okay. want to talk about one experience. Um, the experience where you were at work and you were due to get off. Let's talk about that. Yes. So this particular day, and I, I remember this like it was yesterday, which is crazy, because this has been several years now. But at the time, I was working two jobs. I was working full-time at UAB, and I was working part-time at Arby's downtown, Birmingham. And so I worked an eight-hour shift, you know, standing on my feet, because I worked in dietary. And then I turned around, you know, fast food is standing up. Okay. And I was about to end my shift at work and I was expecting Sean to come pick me up because we had a car and he didn't call or show up in a certain amount of time time and I knew I needed to get home so I just started walking now to paint the picture I'm in downtown Birmingham but I live in like the Woodlawn area past the Woodlawn area like in between Woodlawn and East Lake wow. so I had several miles to walk and as I'm walking, he calls me and lets me know that the car broke down, but he's coming to meet me with my daughter. He's pushing the stroller. So I said, okay. And I'm walking again. It's late. I've worked all these hours. You know, I'm walking fast. I'm trying to look at my surroundings because I'm by myself. You know, it's late at night. And as I come up, up to some railroad tracks off of First Avenue North, we're nearing a Motel 6. And I'm getting close to the tracks and I can see him approaching from the opposite side. But as I approach the tracks and I cross the tracks, he runs up to me and says he saw me talking to someone and they ran up the tracks. So I'm, you know, at this point, I'm probably delirious because I've worked all these hours, walked all these miles. What are you talking about? You know, and before I knew it, he hit me. And one man just happened to be driving down the street at the same exact time in a truck. And he looked at me, he hollered out the window. Do you want me to call the police? And I said, yes. So that Motel 6 that was kind of catter corner across the street, I ran to that Motel 6. I ended up going into a room with a lot of other women, and they let me stay in there. And I talk about this often, like these women could have turned me away. They could have been like, uh-uh, don't bring that here. But they let me come into the room and stay until the police officer showed up. When the police officer showed up, he asked, you know, what had happened, and I was telling him, but he noticed that I was bleeding. And so he asked if he could take me somewhere. And so I said, yes, but I needed to take my daughter with me. So that, of course, made Sean very angry. Like he didn't want my daughter to go with us. So he started making all kinds of threats. Now he's calling me all those names you were saying, like, you know, the B word and, you know, all kinds of words, any, type, any kind of insult he could think of, he was saying and making threats. So the officer said, you need to file a police report. If he is threatening you in front of me, he more likely is going to do something to you. So you need to file a police report, file a restraining order. So what happened is we ended up, he ended up taking me back. Like the place he ended up taking me to was my job, Arby's. 
where I worked at, the job I just left, right? I just left this job. The job that only one person at this job knew my story. And she wasn't there that night, you know? So the thing about domestic violence, you have shame with that. And you don't want people to know that, you know, you're going through these things. You don't want them to know because in some ways I feel like it's a sign of weakness. It makes you feel like you're weak. You know, this person is doing these things to you. And of course, the first thing you think is people saying, why are you putting up there? Why don't you leave? It's not as simple as that. It's not that simple in a lot of cases. But what happened was I ended up going home with one of my team members. She let my daughter and I spend the night. And then the next day we were connected to a nonprofit agency that helps victims of domestic violence. And so that's when I knew that's when things changed. I knew there was help out there for people like me because prior to this, I had never met anyone. And so they helped us with a lot of services and resources. Of course, I ended up going back to that DV relationship, like I said, but I then knew that, you know, there's help out there. I no longer have to, you know, feel alone in this thing by myself. And I do want to ask a question. Um, okay. The first time that he physically abused you, did you blame yourself for it or did you think um, it was something that if you did something different or if you did something better, that it would stop? Honestly, thinking about it, I don't remember thinking any of those things. Um, I knew it wasn't my fault. Okay. Um, that incident, just to give a little taste of that, that was the incident that I talked about where I was asleep and he woke me up in the middle of the night saying I was talking through the wall to his cousin, which makes no sense. Like, it's nighttime. We're in the room. The light is off. I'm asleep. I talk in my sleep. So at this point, you should know I talk in my sleep, right? And I want to talk through the wall while you're in the room with me. That didn't make sense to me, you know, at all. It wasn't anything he could tell me that would convince me that I was wrong. But at that point, I felt stuck. I felt like I didn't really have anywhere else to go. And then I think I was still trying to figure things out. Because like I talk about later, you know, I, we made up these excuses that didn't even make sense, you know, and it went from bad to worse. But yes, that's what it was. Okay. Okay. So you find out the resources and you decide to go back. And I want to make this clear. Um, those who watch my shows weekly, this is no, we don't judge no judgment zones because we're all dealing with something. Kenyatta's testimony is domestic violence. Yours may be something else. So there's no um, judgment because I know sometimes from stories I've heard for people like you that do go back to a situation, well, what you go back for? And like you said, um, it's not easy to get out of these situations, you know, mm -hmm. so we want to make that clear. So you go back into the situation where there promises that things were going to change or what was it like when you went back to the situation? Well, I remember going back prior to that, being, being afraid. Cause again, I thought that maybe he really was going to do something to me. But once I went back, things were okay for a while, okay. but then as usual, it goes right back to what it was. Gotcha. And the thing about it is, the statistics are, and I can't remember the exact number, but it, it's several times that a domestic violence victim leaves the situation before they finally leave for good. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I left, you know, with the intentions of leaving and staying away. But some of the things that made me go back is because I'm big on family. And I wanted us to stay together. He was my first everything. So, yeah, I was going through all of this stuff. And I know people probably like, what? You you still loved him? I did. I mean, it's the truth. It, it's hard to say. I mean, even up until the day, you know, that something happened to him. Like, I still loved him up to that day. But the last time, the reason why I stayed, the very last time I stayed, I said, this was my house. I had bought a house that I'm still living in now. And I said, I'm not leaving anymore. I'm not, I'm staying. I had made my stand. I am not going anywhere. This is my house. So I guess for the most part, I didn't say, God, I put it in your hands, but I guess that's pretty much what I did. Gotcha. And so um, this is kind of where the plot thickens. 
so a few months later, um, Sean, as we're calling him, he passed away. Yes. And so um, due to health-related issues. And so at the time of his death, you are a single mom of a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and a five-month-year-old. So when he passed away, what kind of thoughts were racing through your head? My first thought was I felt a little bit bad because I had said some words. I spoke some words into existence. I remember saying that, Lord, I'm tired. I am tired. I am so tired. I just want him to come back. And, of course, when he a little bit guilty about it because you know he passed away like i had no intentions of him actually dying i just wanted him to you know leave town and not come back so i felt a little bit guilty in that aspect but once i got past it i felt relief you know it was no longer walking around on eggshells you know i could actually talk to people like i was in my reserve unit and for i want to say the first few years like i barely talked to people you know because I was too afraid to really like get to know people because I might be outside and somebody speak to me and he thinks something's going on. Mm-hmm. And so that changed everything. That's when, you know, I was able to go back to church. I went, started school. I was doing all kinds of things and it didn't even bother me that I was going to be a single mom. It was just a freedom of knowing that, you know, I no longer had to be worried about all of those other things. Gotcha. And so um, he passes away. You have the three kids. And let's talk about life after, because as you stated, you know, those things that you had to deal with, the physical and the verbal, it was now a, you know, sigh of relief. It was just you and the three babies at this point. So let's talk about life after. What were those period periods like for you after Sean's passing? So after Sean's passing, I felt like everything just started happening. I was so afraid to drive. And I talk about that some in my book, um, Stepping Out on Faith and, you know, Overcoming Fear. But I was so afraid to drive. Like I couldn't be in the car. I could be in the car with somebody and see an accident waiting to happen. So I was so afraid to drive. And Sean passed in May. And I had my July, he passed at the end of May and I had my Ju- I had my driver's license by July. So I literally had to get out and drive, you know, drive myself around. And I felt like God put people, he pulled people out of the way. So I kept trying to lean on people. I tried to lean on one of my coworkers and her husband got sick. Well, actually she got sick. And then I tried to lean on one of the cousins and her husband got sick. And so I really believe that God was saying, okay, you can't lean on other people. You need to be able to do this thing yourself. Because prior to that, I was catching a bus if I wasn't riding with my friend to work. And so I thought that was a huge thing. And that, excuse me, Sean was blocking a lot of things that I was supposed to be doing. Gotcha. Again, I wanna, now I want to go to getting help. And I want to make sure that we spend some time on this because um, there may be someone watching tonight who is a domestic violence survivor. There may be someone who is in a domestic violence relationship where there is domestic violence. So we wanna make sure we talk about the help that is out there. But first, I want you to talk to how important it is to really know that you want help in want out of a situation because just like there are those that really want the help there are in some instances people they say they want the help but they're not ready so i want you to kind of speak to that yes that is so true i've worked at one of the dv shelters and i i can attest to that um one of the biggest things i would say is knowing that you are sick and tired of being sick and tired. When you reach that point, you know that you're ready to get out of that situation. In that case, you want to make sure that you take the right steps, like plan to leave, because that's the most dangerous time in a domestic violence relationship is when you plan to leave. But make sure you only tell people who you know you can trust. 
Don't tell, you know, just everybody what's going on. Only tell the people you absolutely trust. But until you, like I say, until you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, you will still go through it. It doesn't matter. People tell you that you shouldn't have to, you shouldn't be going through that. Like I had friends tell me that and I knew that. You know, but like I said, once I made that final stand that I wasn't running anymore, I wasn't leaving, like that's what I did. But that's not the same for everybody. Everybody won't have the same situation as me. I did have, like I said, DV, um, physical issues and mental and verbal and all of that. But I don't think mine was as bad as some other people's. You know, so if you're in a really, really bad situation, like I said, reach out for help. Like you can call the domestic violence hotline. They will help you come up with a plan. There are shelters out there that can provide you with a safe place to stay. They can help you find a job. They can provide your child with childcare. Like anything you need is out there. Like there's no excuse. I know sometimes you just be afraid to step out and be outside of what you're normally used to. But sometimes that's what you have to do in order for things to get better. Okay. And then let me ask this. Um, do you feel that these things that you experience, it came from a place of low self-esteem? Yes, in some ways, yes and no. I would say that I thought I loved myself. I didn't really feel like I had low self-esteem. But when I think back on it now, I should have known what what I was willing to accept and what what are no's for me. So now I know, like I will not put up with that anymore. I have not been in another domestic violence relationship. Like I know statistics say, you know, a lot of times you end up in another DV relationship or situation. I have not because I pay attention to all of those warning signs that we talk about, like all of those. But no, one thing about domestic violence I'll say is it doesn't have a preference. It doesn't matter if you're outgoing, if you're reserved, if you're a beauty queen, or if you're what they call homely, or if you're rich or you're poor, you come from a certain neighborhood, certain education background, it can happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. It can happen to anybody. And then too, since you um, talked about loving yourself, Let's talk about the importance of loving yourself and knowing your self-worth. Yes, absolutely. It is so important to know who you are. Sometimes it takes a while for us to know that. Um, but once you know, you have, I will say this, you have to love yourself first. You cannot expect anyone else to love you until you love yourself or love you the way that you want to be loved. You need to know that. How can you ask somebody to love you a certain way if you don't know how you want to be loved? We all have different love languages and you can't expect another person to come in and make you whole. You have to be whole already. That person is just an addition to who you already are. So it's so important to work on self as a single individual. I focus on building myself up so that when God sends me my helpmate, I am ready for him. So Sometimes we just have to focus on ourselves and make sure we know who we are. And then I also want to make sure that we get this in because I think it's very important. What would you say to um, single moms who have young girls that they're raising? And I would even say in your case, what would you say to them? They may be in a domestic violence relationship. How important is it to be transparent with your daughters so that the cycle does not repeat? And let me be careful how I say that because I yes. do understand that sometimes, you know, you can do all the talking in the world, the poor yeah. thing, life happens and things just happen. But how important is it that single moms have these talks with their daughters it is so important that you have these talks with your kids. I will tell you, I talk to my kids all the time. I am very open about what happened. I tell them that, you know, I love their dad and he loved them. But the things that I went through were not acceptable. No one should ever put their hands on you. It doesn't matter what you did. 
If that's the case, you should walk away. Y'all should not be together. I don't care if it's a man or a woman because women abuse men too. I tell them that and I talk to them often about it. And if we happen, like I know we watched Tina Turner once, you know, and I showed them like what she went through and the things that she should not have gone through. But I think this is so important because if your kids know the warning signs or the, the things that happen, they, they are already prepared and they can say, hey, you know what? My mom talked about this. I need to get out of this before it gets out of hand. These are things that need to be addressed. We can't sugarcoat anything in this current world that we're in. We need to just tell it like it is and let them talk to us, like have a conversation. And like you said, a lot of times with our kids, you know, we tell them stuff and they just like, mom thinks, okay, mom, she thinks she know everything, but they're actually listening, you know, and when that situation comes up, it'll kick in. You know, because y'all have already talked about it. But if you haven't talked about it, like my situation, you know, I had no idea what I was going to end up in. And then I didn't know what to do when I found myself in an actual situation. You know, I had no no um, resources. But the great thing about it, I would say about the YWCA and our AmeriCorps program is that we have members who go out into the high schools and they teach the students, high schoolers and middle schoolers, like what those warning signs look like what a healthy relationship looks like so that they are already aware that if they find themselves in this situation or if they are already in it, mm-hmm. like, Hey, I need mm-hmm. to reach out and get some help because high schoolers are experiencing it too. Yes. And it's something that needs to be addressed early. And then something else I want to pick up. <laughs> I know this next statement, you've heard it just like I've heard it. For so long, it was said, what goes on in this house is staying in this house. Well, and, you know, we can take Mm -hmm. that to mean that what goes on in this family stays in this family. But if what's going on with the person in the family is hurting that person, literally to the point where it could lead to death, you got to say something. You got to say something. And I would encourage everyone Um, listening tonight and tuning in when that family member or friend comes to you don't shut them down don't judge them but listen to them because you could be the person that aids in them getting the help that they need and then Angela just posted this and then there are some more resources that I'm going to share at the end as well And I do want to give a kudos to the YWCA for all of the things locally that they do to help domestic violence um, victims go through this because they they do a lot of things in churches, schools. It's actually things that are unheard of. So you can definitely go to their website to find out more about the things that they offer. And then there was also another thing. I heard a lot of older people say this. And it would be funny, but thinking back on it now that I'm older, it was wrong. They would always say, as long as he paying the bills, as long as he putting food on the table, stay there. And, you know, you kind of think about it, that's backwards. So if he's, you know, dogging this lady out, if he's beating her, you know, you have to think about all that stuff. So... You know, I think that comes a time when you, as you said, you really have to do a self-examination on yourself and know your worth. And, you know, when you love yourself, it's just certain things that you're not going to take. So being where you are now, and we still have a great amount of time. I want to make sure I get everything in. Being where you are now, um, and (laughs) you just had a birthday on Saturday. So again, Happy birthday to you. Um, Mm -hmm. What would you say to 12-year-old Kenyatta? If you had a chance to talk to 12-year-old Kenyatta, what would you say to her? So I I have a question. So is this 12-year-old Kenyatta who knows what she's going to go through or no? Still trying to find herself in a place of um becoming a young girl becoming into it in her own place i would say so everything that you've gone through now what would you say yes to that 12 year old kenyatta 
I would definitely tell my 12 year old self to give myself grace. I am going to make mistakes. Um, however, I am resilient. I will learn from my mistakes. Um, I need to make sure I know who I am and love me first. I would definitely tell myself that and to know that the sky's the limit. I can do anything with God. Awesome. I love it. And then let me ask you this. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? In 10 years from now? Okay, so in 10 years from now, I see myself running a nonprofit, helping students learn how to read, third graders learn how to read. That's something I tapped into while serving with United Way. And of course, I want to be able to, you know, I'll be debt free. So I'll have an opportunity to be a blessing to other people. Um, and I don't know what else I'll be doing. I know I'll do a little bit of traveling, but I, I can see myself doing a, a whole lot in 10 years. Awesome. And I want to go here because you kind of um, spoke on it earlier. You talked about um, finding love again. So let's kind of talk about that. Um, everything you've gone through. And let me ask you this before we go there. Let's talk about the importance of not being bitter coming out of situations as you could because and everything is a choice my mom says that a lot and it's true everything is a choice you could have made the choice to even after sean's death you could have made the choice to be resentful against every man that you come in contact with bitter you know just and a lot of women do that and men after they've been in fair relationships but Let's talk about the importance of not being bitter, but being loving, forgiving, and understanding, and having grace, as you just said. Yes. So definitely going into or trying to go into a new relationship or meeting someone. I am cautious. I will say that I pay attention. So if it's any type of red flag, then I'm like, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. But one of the biggest things I do now is I pray about it. I ask that God reveal anything. If this person is not supposed to be in my life, whether it's a friend or a future relationship, that he reveals it to me. Um, as far as being bitter, I'm still working on um, forgiving Sean because he's not here, you know, so I've kind of forgiven him, but I'm working on um, writing a letter to him because that's all that I can do. I can't really talk to him, but I go through counseling currently because after Sean passed, you know, I went full speed ahead as a mom. I just jumped into doing everything and I never really addressed the issues that I had. And so they were resurfaced every now and then, you know, with me, you know, feeling a little bit down or thinking back on what happened in the past. And it took me going to counseling, you know, to kind of talk through some of those things and work through them to be able to move forward. So I am in the process of writing a letter to Sean to, you know, truly forgive him for what he did. You know, I I get that. And I don't know if he did it out of malice, like on purpose, mm -hmm. but it worked for my good. You know, I am a stronger person. I am probably a better person that I would have been if I wouldn't have gone through what I went through. So I can thank him now for what I went through because now I can help other people who may be experiencing the same thing and share my story. So I can, yeah. And then um, I want to go here. You just talked about it. Counseling. Those who constantly tune in in this show, we've started um, Mental Mondays where we talk about uh, mental illnesses and mental health. Y'all, it's nothing wrong with going to counseling. It's nothing wrong with going to counseling. I think mm -hmm. in our community um, and everybody on tonight, we all are Black African-American. For so long, it was like you go to counseling that makes you less of a person. And then for those of us who are Christian, mm -hmm. heard it all. What do you need counseling for? Don't let them pretend you're crazy. Jesus is all the help you need. Yes, Jesus is our help. He's a very present But there are people that are medically trained and they can help you get to the mm -hmm. 
on some of these things. And so let's talk about how counseling has helped aid in the healing process that's taken forth. Yes. So it helped me realize that a lot of times when I'm going through things, I can. So what I've done in the past is if you wrong me, even as a friend, I can just cut you off and just keep moving forward. But the thing about it is I've never really addressed the issue. So it makes me think about, okay, let me have at least have a conversation with this person and let them know, you know, what what is the issue that we're having? Even if we don't, you know, talk anymore, I still will address it as opposed to just shutting it down and never really addressing it. It also helped me being able to talk to somebody because for a long time, I never really told anybody about, you know, the things that happened. Like even in my book, I talk about, you know, a not so suicide attempt. Like I just told my mom about it maybe two years ago. So some of the things you know, it makes me think like, okay, now I can tell somebody all of these things that I felt like I was too afraid to tell somebody else, or I didn't want to tell somebody it because I still thought I would be judged, even though I'm sharing my story of triumph, you know, you still have that in the back of your mind. But at the end of the day, I know that I want to be able to make a difference and help somebody. So I have to be transparent so that that person will know like, hey, you know what, I can relate to this story. She just talked. She just talked about exactly what I'm going through or what I went through, you know, just to be relatable. And so that helps a lot. Like you can't expect like I won't expect to get information from somebody if I was married Ask somebody that's not married information because they've never been married. So they can't you know, I can't relate to them. But if you've gone through what I've gone through, I can better relate to what you're talking about. Absolutely. And then another thing, and um, we're nearing the end, but I want you to talk about the importance of people that have gone through domestic violence, kind of like that they're there like as a support system to be there for one another, because I think that that's something that we don't see enough of in our society. Yes. So with domestic violence, I know there are programs out there, there are support groups. And I I talk about that often, but you can look up domestic violence support groups locally and and go to a program who, you know, went through the same things that you went through. One thing about domestic violence, I feel like a lot of times you feel singled out. You feel like you're the only one who's going through these things. But when you go to one of these groups, you know, you can hear other people tell their stories and talk about what they went through, which could be similar to yours or worse than yours. But you have a community. So you feel comfortable with telling them your story because they've gone through some of the same things through. Same thing. Some sorry, excuse me. Same things, too. And so as we prepare to close tonight, is there anything that I didn't ask that you'd like to share with our audience tonight? I would say if you're experiencing domestic violence, there is help out there for you. Don't think that you're alone in this. This is absolutely not your fault. Absolutely not your fault. We can, like I said, again, there are resources out there. Just look up the information come up with a plan, reach out to that 1-800 number that's confidential. They'll help you come up with a plan. They'll provide you with the resources. Like what, what do you have to lose? You're already dealing with domestic violence. You're already afraid or crying every day. Like it's, it can only get better from here is what I'll say. And so the number that King Yada was just speaking of, it is on the screen. Um, We'll talk about some other things and then we will um, take it down, but I'll leave that up for a few moments. And I do want to ask you, at what place did you know that you were called to write a book? Because so many times when we go through different storms in our lives, we say, well, I'm going to do it one day, but I'm not ready. I'm not ready. So how, what, what point did you know that you were like, hey, I got to do this because it's got to help somebody else? Well, I remember being in a group called Hello Ruth, which is now a nonprofit, and they wanted to publish a book with, you know, everybody in the group just, you know, typing up their own chapter. And so that is what sparked it. 
is what sparked me wanting to read my book. It didn't go through because there weren't not enough people to participate. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to expand that book. But I knew that my story, I felt like, would help a lot of people and not just domestic violence related, like as a single mom or overcoming fear and stepping out on faith. Like there are a lot of things that happen after DV. DV started my story, but it's not where it ended. Absolutely. And so I wanted to be able to share my story with other people. And even if it meant only helping one person, and that's one thing I have to always bring it back to, because I know sometimes we get out and we start doing stuff. We're trying to sell books or we want to do these things. And it's great to sell a lot of things or be able to go and speak to people and get paid. Like I received that in Jesus name. But I would say this, that even if I help one person, that one person makes a difference. And that's what I remember when I joined AmeriCorps because I wanted to make a difference in other people's lives. And I realized I could do the same thing through my book. And so that's why I decided to write it. Absolutely. And you will see on the screen, the information for Kenyatta's book, Undefeated from Broke from Broken to Blessed. It can be purchased on Amazon. It is available in paperback and Kindle edition. And again, it is a very great book. Um, it would even be a great book for women's groups, Bible studies, even college groups, high school groups, because I think a lot of insight can be gained from it um, about the book. And then also I want to go ahead and put uh, Kenyatta's website information up. You will see it on the screen. I encourage you to follow her on Instagram and Facebook. And Kenyatta is available for speaking engagements. I do know that they're um, with everything relating to COVID now. I know a lot of people are doing virtual things, but um, Mm -hmm. Kenyatta is available for speaking engagements. And then you have a lot of people showing you love tonight. I'm going to put some more of these on the screen tonight. And I encourage everyone watching tonight, um, if you know someone that needs to, even if you don't want to tag them in on Facebook with it, share it with them through Messenger. We have to get this word out. There are too many men and women who have lost their lives as a result of domestic violence because they felt like one nobody cared and they felt like no one took the time to listen and no one took the time to understand what they're doing all right and then i also want to put the website for the national coalition against domestic violence you will see that on your screen and then that website they have resources on there um if you like to donate this hasn't affected you or if it has affected you you like to donate you donate they have resources all over the country this is a site where you can go on and learn statistics for your state and if you like to see you can find support in your local state so this is something that i encourage you to watch as well these things will be posted in the backstage group. I will post it after the show for those who want to join. And so everybody that has been watching the show, we've been doing this for the past month or so, continuing. So the census has been extended after a court order from a judge October 31st and we've been talking about it for weeks so there's still time for you to get that census done again I'm going to say as I've I've been saying they've been calling you they're not calling you because they just want to talk to you I guarantee you you need to fill out that census please sir please ma'am take the time to do that as you saw in the video for those who tuned in in the beginning it only takes six minutes to complete that online and again if you complete online you don't have to have a registration code but please go on and do that alabama we're still in the last place so we have a few more weeks to get us out of the last place and for those who are wondering like how can i get my roads repaved how long do i have to drive around like this why doesn't birmingham get more things that other cities have the census determines mm-hmm. Only done every 10 years, so please take the time to do that. And then this is also something else we do every week 
So we are 22 days until the November 3rd election. I know we started talking about it in August, but when we started, we were like 60 some days. So time is definitely flying. So if you have not registered to vote, I encourage you to go ahead and register to vote. I'm gonna put that site up just in case you need to register and find your polling place. You can go to vote.gov to find your polling place. And then also those locally in Alabama, I know many of you have wondered, they are still doing at the Jefferson County Courthouse on the fifth floor Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. I think it wraps up about 5 p.m. daily on the fifth floor. But today, they just announced this on the news for the next two Saturdays, October the 17th, this Saturday, and next Saturday, October the 24th, state representatives have sponsored special early voting on Saturdays from 9 to 1 and on the fifth floor. And the cool thing about this is they know how to bring out when you have to stay in line. <laughs> out for you. They don't have food trucks for those who say, well, I can't stand in line that long. I got to eat. So you'll be able to get something to eat if you have to stand in line. They're going to be groups, choir, and line dancing. So if you want to take advantage of the early voting, this was actually done because they do realize that a lot of us, we just can't take off work on election day for those that amount of time. So if you do want to go, I encourage you to take charge of this. And how I want to end this show, I allow my um, guests to appeal to the audience the importance of voting. So Kenyatta, the floor is yours, if you would, ma'am. Yes, so voting is so important. I plan to be there. I know sometimes there are things that make us not want to vote. We think maybe our vote won't, our vote won't count or, you know, they're suppressing our votes. But if we don't go vote then and other people vote for the other party, then we're going to end up in the same situation we ended up in this last election. And we can't let that happen. Because I feel like things are just going to get worse. So please go out and vote. Absolutely. And then I want to say this, and this is how we're going to end the show. Um, Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal, he actually voted for the first time on yesterday. And he said it felt great to vote. So, um, of course, we're not here to judge. He got it done. So if you're a person like him, you haven't been voting, please understand the seriousness of this election. We do have a lot at stake. And I do realize that there are some amendments that are on the ballots in the coming weeks. I will have guests on the show to talk about those amendments so you can know what you're voting for. But I want to thank you again, Kenyatta, tonight for being a guest, sharing your transparency and being open in a help that it would help someone else. And then again, guests, I want to thank you all for tuning in tonight and Kenyatta's book information that will be posted. And as always, I want to thank you all for tuning in. Keep the faith and we will see you next Monday. Have a great night. Thank you. You're welcome.